0: Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. Residents' Rights Month is celebrated every October, and this year's theme, Amplify Our Voices, emphasizes a community of long-term care residents coming together to make their voices heard. As we lead into Residence Rights Month, Consumer Voice spoke with two state ombudsmen, Kelly Richards from Illinois and Mairead Painter from Connecticut, who shared their experiences of amplifying the voices of long-term care consumers in their advocacy work. In this episode, Kelly and Mairead discuss a variety of ways that long-term care consumers in their states have advocated to make positive change. Including using media, working with legislators, and sharing their personal experiences and stories. Kelly and Marade also talked about actions ombudsman program representatives can take to incorporate the voices of residents in their own advocacy.
1: Today's podcast is focusing on Residents' Rights Month and incorporating resident voices and advocacy into our own advocacy work. Residents' Rights Month is an annual event designated by Consumer Voice to honor residents living in all long-term care facilities and those receiving care in their home or community. It's an opportunity to focus on and celebrate the dignity and rights of every individual receiving long-term care services and supports. And this year, our theme is Amplify Our Voices. So much of the work that we do at Consumer Voice is just that, amplifying the voices of long-term care consumers and giving them the tools to advocate on their own behalf. We do this in a variety of ways through work with our Consumer Advisory Council, which is made up of current and former long-term care consumers. Members of the council participate in our advocacy and do their own advocacy in a variety of ways, which we'll discuss during our conversation today. Today, we're talking with two amazing state ombudsmen, Kelly Richards and Mairead Painter, about how they do this, how they amplify resident voices in their own advocacy. First, I wanna thank you both for joining us today and we really want to just talk to you both about what you do, about how you incorporate, include, and help raise resident voices in the work that you do as state ombudsman, how this helps and elevates your own work, and also about what suggestions you might have for other ombudsmen and advocates who do this work on how they can include resident voices in their own advocacy and also work to ensure that long-term care consumers have the tools that they need to advocate on their own behalf. So just to start, um, and either one of you can go first, but how do you work with residents and stay mindful of their voice in the work that you do day to day?
2: Marae, do you wanna
3: go? Um, so here in Connecticut, we have had a longstanding um, group. They are presidents of resident council and regionally, uh, there's a few from each region that come together to make an executive board of presidents of resident council and they get together twice a month and work directly with my office to help inform me um, related to policy issues. They keep us up to date on what's happening in nursing homes across the state. Uh, They meet with each other, and then they're also available to other residents in their region as a resource. Um, And we come together once a year. Um, at an annual voices forum so we love the theme this year and our voices forum this year will be on october 6th where they get together with policymakers from across the state so that policymakers can hear directly from them on what's happening in our long-term care communities um, throughout our state we also have a a fund that people can donate to so that we can ensure that residents can go to the legislature and testify on bills that directly impact them and they can testify for themselves. So we work to identify residents that wanna testify on bills and have their voices heard and we bring them to the legislature to testify and um, make sure that people
2: hear directly from them.
1: Thanks, great and Kelly.
2: Um, In Illinois, what we uh, have is a virtual resident family support council that meets twice a month virtually, and we talk about a variety of issues that affect residents. Um, We have a large majority of the participants happen to be family members as opposed to um, residents, but the whole goal is to amplify the voices and concerns of residents and family members, and um, what we do is we have a work group. Um, which is a couple of uh, regional ombudsmen and um, there was a former resident and a family member of a resident that we get together before every meeting to come up with our topics for like the next month um, based on whatever is happening or what we think may be useful for the residents and the family members. And after we have these recordings, we post them on our on our Facebook page. And we also record, uh, post them on our, uh, YouTube page. And so presently we've been doing this since March of 2021. So presently we have like 55 videos of these meetings, uh, from various topics to, from care planning. We have meetings where our surveying agency participated and shared information about visitation around, um, COVID. We have discharges. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Sexual expression. We have various different topics that um, are useful for family members and residents.
1: That's, I I just want to, that's really interesting that you record them. You know, we at Consumer Voice, we work with a consumer advisory council and we will sometimes make videos and record certain conversations. But so often when I'm talking to residents, I wish I was recording our conversations. And I've thought about saying, can we just record everything? Because, again, I think very often it's the residents or family members that that really, you know, they have the soundbite, if that, you know, is the right way to say it. But they really just, they're able to say and explain things so much more eloquently, I think, often than we can. Um, I just want to back up a little bit. And, Maureen, you spoke a little to this, talking about the residents coming from resident councils. But... I'm wondering how you identify the residents that you work with, um, because I think it can be really hard. Um, as I mentioned, we have we have a wonderful consumer advisory council at Consumer Voice and it's made up of long-term care consumers, um, some of who I think you have sent our way, Mairead, in the past, um, but from throughout the country. And they do incredible advocacy, and they're very eager to be tapped into the work that we're doing, but we're also very cognizant all the time that there are more residents out there who aren't as tapped in. Um, So if either of you could speak a little bit just to, you know, how you find the residents that you're working with, do they tend to come to you and reach out to you, or do you make efforts to sort of seek out people in different ways? Kelly, why don't
2: you go first on this one? OK, sure. Um, I It was a struggle. You know, we residents are just readily calling us saying, hey, I want to talk to you in that respect. And so a couple of things that I have done, I've elicited support from the regional ombudsman, letting them know what I'm trying to do and asking them to help to connect me to those residents um, that the local ombudsman are interacting with on a regular basis. Um, And so that is my primary way of trying to connect with residents. It's just getting them from the local, uh, the local programs. That makes sense.
3: And I would say the same thing here. I think it's become more challenging. It was very challenging during COVID. So COVID, there were positives and definitely negatives related to COVID, Um, historically, when we did outreach in the community, senior centers and things like that, people knew who we were prior to going into nursing homes. And so then once the regional ombudsmen were there, they knew them, um, we could continue to engage with them. And we were able to sort of increase our presence with them and sort of draw them in while they were still um, used to being engaged and part of the community and get them to talk with us and continue to engage. Um, I think identifying them while they're newer in the facility is important Mm -hmm. um, and helping them get involved and really engage with the resident council is important. Um, And then encouraging them to stay in contact with the regional ombudsman and other um, resident councils in their area. And then the pros with COVID, I think, were that we started to use technology in a different way we never would have been able to connect residents. They called each other and you know, it's not the same as seeing each other on a screen. And the fact that they've been able to see each other, they have um, sort of a connection list now where they can get on and they can all talk and see and communicate in a way that's very different. And the same thing with our statewide family council, we use um, a Zoom link and different family councils can have Zooms. I think it changes. It also increases the ability for them to share the information that nursing homes are telling them, mm-hmm. right? So if the nursing home is saying you can or cannot do this, and it's a it's a rule, they can say, well, yes, it is, or no, it isn't. I'm allowed to do that. How come you can do this? And I can't do that. And so it really did change the dynamic, um, and it empowered people in a different way, and I think increased um, the voice of residents where they can go back and say, well, Well, no, I'm hearing from other residents that they can do that and their resident council runs in this way or they have time privately without staff in the room. Um, And so I think in that way, it was really a benefit to be able to have the technology and move forward. And it's increased our ability to connect with residents, Um, also residents in the building for people that maybe don't go down to resident council or worried about um, infections or um, being exposed to things they can connect remotely and still attend things or um be connected with other peers. Yeah.
2: I think and I that, echo go ahead. I'm sorry. I no, echo, no, go ahead. Maraid is saying it's an opportunity for the residents to connect with each other and also the family members to connect with each other and for our resident family support Council, we also have staff from the facilities that participate, and so in a chat we find a lot of questions come up. Um, oftentimes, our our, our um, council meeting is for one hour, but depending on the topic, folks may want to stay on after that one hour and just continue to dialogue with each other and share stories. And it's just so powerful. You know, they're making connections with other folks um, and being able to get their questions answered. And we just get a lot of positive feedback from residents and their family members from these calls that we're having because of the resources that we provide, the questions that we answer, and then a way to empower them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I think, I think we've seen the same thing. I will say I started at Consumer Voice a couple months before the pandemic started. So sometimes it's a little hard for me to do the before and after, um, sort of like the after and after, you know, the pandemic and then sort of what we where we are now. But um, when I first started, our consumer advisory calls were calls. They were on the phone. And then we did some listening sessions during the pandemic for CMS, with residents, and we did those on Zoom, and we realized, wait a minute, like there are many residents who have access to Zoom, and so we started doing a hybrid during our consumer advisory calls, where we had we people can certainly call in and join, but many of the residents join via their tablets on Zoom, um, which again is is a privileged position for residents to be in to have the access and ability to do all of that, um, which is maybe something else we should talk about, um, sort of who gets left out of this um, when we do this kind of work sometimes, but, um, you know what we, we had our regular consumer advisory calls and then exactly what you're both describing. We saw, residents from around the country sort of talking to each other and hearing what was happening in different facilities and what was happening in different parts of the country and also talking about what they were doing about it and their own advocacy and so then we decided to have resident led calls um, where instead of our regular consumer advisory calls where we have more of an agenda um, and talk about different issues these are calls that a different resident leads every two months or so and It's for the residents to just get on and talk to each other. And now we've seen they that the people in our consumer advisory council are emailing each other about problems that they're having. And it's just it's I think you're right, like if it's hard to say many good things came out of the pandemic. But in some ways, I think the technology that we all use and rely on was was a big one.
2: Yeah, right. our, our resident family support council virtual was birthed out of the pandemic, you know, trying to right. figure out a way to connect with residents and their family members to share the latest and greatest information from the CDC or from the Illinois Department of Public Health, just trying to arm people with information that can help them in this in their journey. Yeah, we
3: probably never would have taken that on. We never would have, I would never would have done the Facebook lives. And we saw Mm -hmm. directly from that, that that's how family members and residents started connecting because they would see that they were both interested in a topic. Mm -hmm. So we may put the initial topic out that we're talking about, like right now, the um, staffing that just got Mm -hmm. released. That's a hot topic for people. So we will do a Facebook live on it. But if people connect in a certain way, we'll see that they kind of offshoot and start going back and forth with each other and then they'll connect on the side or they may decide to join the family council or resident council about that and sort of take on topics together um, but be in totally different areas of the state and wouldn't have otherwise ever connected and it's powerful when you have information or when you can connect in that way they can then get their independent legislators involved right so that creates synergy and energy around things um, and that's Powerful for residents related to their rights. Right.
1: Well, and that actually goes right into the next question I was going to ask, which is what kind of impact do you see? And maybe this is a little bit different, but. Uh, Because, you know, we're talking about both resident advocacy and our own advocacy, but in your own advocacy work, what impact do you see when you include residents in your advocacy, you know, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, some residents out there who might be listening and not really sure of what impact they might have themselves. But, you know, at Consumer Voice, I feel like we often feel like it's the residents' stories, and, and we come back to this all the time, and their own voices that are our strongest tool. Um, you know, when we're talking about staffing, you know, we can talk about staffing and we can talk to a legislator about staffing, but Murray, the way you're describing it, you know, when you have a resident actually speaking to them, it, it takes on a whole different level, um, you know, so what kind of impact have you seen from that kind of work?
3: We've seen an incredible impact. We've seen legislators get invited to the facility by the residents And when they go in an evening or on a weekend to visit with a resident council president and tour a facility and they're able to see what the residents are speaking to related to staffing and the impact that it has to residents. And it's not just us explaining it to them. It's the residents voice. It's their story of what's happening to them. Um, We've been able to see a record number of laws changed. We saw actually a law change that residents have the right to testify virtually, right? They have the right Right. now to actually appear virtually and testify on behalf of any um, law that's going to change that's gonna impact them. That's huge. They would have never have had that ability um, even five years ago. And so I think that that's that's a big, big impact. And the fact that we have legislators engaged in that way, that they're they're reaching out, that this is, a significant topic right now that it's six months before session and we're already being called into meetings and asked which residents can they go see and which facilities do we think that they should be um, going out to tour
1: that yeah that's huge kind of
3: never been heard of before and so I think because they've been engaged by those stories from residents from family members um, we know that residents and family members put books together. They've sent them out nationally. They've done a lot of work at the state level. And because of that, we're starting to create that momentum. And we want to make sure that that continues. And that only continues by people continuing to share their stories.
1: Kelly, do you have anything to add? Um, I would echo the
2: same thing that Maureen had said. Uh, you know, Bringing this, these issues towards the uh, legislators and actually having them hear from the voices of the residents themselves makes a huge impact um, in terms of the work that we're doing. You know, in my office, the support that we're getting from legislators, um, putting the ombudsman program on the map. Right, and understanding yeah. what it is that we do, and having a different level of understanding and respect for the program and their willingness to support um, legislation or changes that my office wants to make uh, legislatively now that they have a greater understanding of uh, what's happening with the residents because they've heard directly from them.
1: Yeah, Mairead, were you going to say something?
3: I was just going to say, it just shows how small but mighty the ombudsman programs have been all these years. And I think Mm -hmm. um, at least the legislators that we talk to always seem surprised at the amount of work that the ombudsman's office does, that how many people we connect with, the kind of outcomes that we're able to achieve with the sort of small teams that we have. Um, And I think that there's always an impact there. Yeah.
2: And I find that they find a lot of value. That they didn't realize they they had or needed in the ombudsman program after hearing the voices of the residents or just simply hearing from us, you know. More often than not, when I am having conversations with legislators, they're like, "Oh my God, I had no idea! This is an amazing program, you know." And I often say say that I want the ombudsman program to be like a household name in Illinois, and everybody knows. Oh, I know what an ombudsman is. Well, you're getting there, right?
1: I mean, it sounds like that's, that's the path that you're on. Um, One
2: conversation
1: at a time. Right. Um, So what are some other ways to do this? We've talked a lot about residents, you know, coming together and talking, and we've talked about them testifying, but what are some other things that you do or other ways that you highlight resident voices or use them in the work that you're doing?
2: Well, one of the things that I recently did was I created a podcast series. Um, I wanted more connection, like we have talked about earlier with residents Mm -hmm. and how can I possibly do that? And so I shared my, you know, just my thought or my vision with my team of regional ombudsmen and told them like, I'm trying to figure out a way to amplify their voices even larger and would like to do a podcast. And so after talking with them, There were some suggestions that were given to me and one that just really stood out is Kelly just have a conversation with them similar to what we're doing today and talk about their lived experience in long-term care and what that looks like you know um and it could potentially help other people who are one currently in a long-term care facility or two um a home or two about to enter into a home and for family members you know to get a greater understanding of what that journey looks like and so um last Um, January or this past January, I um, recorded five different conversations that I had with uh, residents and I used the regional ombudsman programs to get those residents to me. So I let them know like, hey, I want to do this. Can you connect me to to residents that will be interested in just having a casual conversation with me um, about their lived experience in uh, long-term care homes? And it was phenomenal i um, super excited about it. We just released our last one um, um, on Spotify. Uh, so we have five of them and they're very diverse backgrounds. We have some males, females, um, different, um, 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 different ethnicities. And so um, I'm very proud
1: of it. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Um, Marie, do you have anything in terms of other ways that you use resident voices in your work?
2: I think we
3: use them all day long every day. It's kind of hard to even parse them out. I feel like that's, that's all we do when we're talking with reporters. We're connecting them um, with the media, we have uh, a couple of nursing homes that are either closing or have put in requests to close. And so when we're talking to the media, we really are asking them to reach directly back out mm-hmm. to residents, right? So again, I can give my statement um, when we're meeting with, or um, in court, and we're meeting with the judge. One of the things that we do, we ask the judge, can the residents be present? We used Zoom so that all of the residents and um, a projector, the camera so that the residents could see into the courtroom oh, and wow. be heard by the judge and see the judge so that they felt that they could um, be a part of that and hear the order directly from the judge instead of me or my team bringing it to them mm-hmm. and that they had the opportunity to understand why the judge was putting certain orders in and ensuring that it was their words that she was hearing about right. why their home was important to them and that you know, that they didn't want it to close or some wanted it to close. And it's hard for me to take both of those perspectives and move them forward, um, ensuring that they have the ability, you know, she wanted them to write out what they wanted. And so having my team members go and sit with them and write down their thoughts, things like that. Um, So really everything that we do is the resident's voice and highlighting that. And just how do we as ombudsmen hear it sort of harness it and then move that forward and ensure that that's really what we're doing and that we're taking the opportunity to use that in all of our work all day long and that when we are making independent decisions we're thinking back to how does this relate to the residents that we serve how does this best promote what they want Mm -hmm. and move forward what they see as their priorities yeah. I mean, you're
1: you're you're both doing amazing work, and I was actually media was one of the things that I was going to bring up, um, just because I think I think exactly everything we've said, and I think you already articulated this, but it it is the same for media. You know, we can have a quote in the media, and it means one thing, but when a resident is profiled in the media, I mean, even the reaction from the general public is very different because they're actually now seeing something, and it just it hits you in a different way. Um, so I think my last question, and you guys are just, I mean, I think you're both really leaders in this. Um, what suggestions do you have to other people in your position, not necessarily just state ombudsmen, but for local ombudsmen, for other advocates who operate in this space, what suggestions do you have for them if they want to start incorporating resident voices into their work more, you know, and one thing we've all talked about is how the pandemic really, you know, gave rise to some of this work. But now that we're living in a bit of a post-pandemic world to some extent, um, how would you suggest people get started or what they do or what they should do?
2: Um, I would suggest just be creative, you know, think outside the box. I got started with the Resident Family Support Council by way of another uh, state ombudsman who's actually doing it, you know, and so I had heard about the fact that um, they were doing a, um, a, a monthly meeting and I'm like oh we should do something like that, you know, and then mm-hmm. I participated in a podcast with Maraid, uh about a year or so ago. And I was like, Oh, I want to do a podcast, you know? And so just trying to be very creative and thinking out of the box of how can I connect with residents, you know, making them the focus of what I'm trying to do um, and just doing it in a, a, a creative way. You know, social media is really big and we know that residents family members are on social media. So um, like Marie said, harnessing, you know, that and trying to use that as a vehicle to um, share more information about the ombudsman program, about residents and uh, um, and their rights. And one thing I just want to add that you had asked us about was the impact and hearing back from some of the residents that I spoke to, having those podcast discussions really empowered them and made them feel like they had purpose. You know, one gentleman in particular, he was like, Kelly, I'm so incredibly honored that you even thought enough of me, you know, and he asked me the question, like, why me? And I'm like, why not you? You know, I mean, your voice is just as strong as anybody else's. And he happens to be a resident council president. So it was very, um, it was a, I I would think a very positive, uh, encouraging experience for him. And I'm thankful that I had that opportunity to help him uh, amplify his voice along with others.
1: I think that's a really good point. And, you know, it it makes me think of, I think there was a time, I don't remember if it was a year ago, or if it was in the midst of the pandemic, when I think we all felt like we were really leaning on our consumer advisory council a lot, you know, and it was sort of like, oh my goodness, can we keep it? Do people want more meetings? Do they want to do this next thing? Are they going to want to, you know, like, come to this congressional briefing? Are they going to want... And the reality is most of the residents that we work with, absolutely yes. I mean, I think it's a feeling of this is something that that is empowering and gives them the ability to speak and gives them that platform. So I think that's a really good point in terms of impact that it also, you know, it, it isn't just the impact that it has on the external, you know, source that we're trying to, you know, get to change things, but it also has a big impact on the residents themselves who do this work. So
3: absolutely. Yeah. Um, they have Value. They still feel like they have value. Absolutely. And they do. And to Kelly's point, you don't have to recreate the wheel. Right. There's a lot yeah. of ideas out there. And, and we talk about ideas that we have and we work with each other um, to come up with things. And I think that's important. I think also knowing that you don't not to get discouraged. Right. And there's. There is a machine out there moving forward and that. The industry is big, but there's a lot of good components within the industry, too, and to look for that, some best practices and how to highlight that. And residents want to feel good about where they live, too. There are a lot of wonderful things happening in our long-term care communities. And as people live in these long-term care communities and want to grow in the spaces that they're living, they're working really hard to help blossom in, throughout the resident councils and to work hard and to create change in the places where they live. And so when you're seeing that, to take some of those components and highlight that as well. So we're not just focusing on the negative, but with some of the successes that residents are having in creating change in the environments they're living in so that they can help champion that in other places so that other residents can find success as well. I think that's really important and for the care team members to feel successful about where they're working. We wanna encourage people to go into these fields and to work in communities and to support residents. Um, and they're doing amazing work and they become like family for residents. And there's ways that we can champion that as advocates and advocating for high quality care, if that's what we wanna see. Um, and I think it's important to find that balance. We wanna call out when there's concerns, we wanna call out and highlight Um, where we need to see change, but I think we need to also call out where we're seeing success and the companies and the providers that are really doing the right thing and moving things forward for the right reasons. So as we're coming out of the pandemic and we've seen those um, really positive aspects and residents that have come together with those caregivers to to do some amazing things, I really want to start focusing on that and even you know, this has given me some ideas, maybe we'll start to put together an hour with residents to bring forward those best practices and put them on Facebook for others to see or something like that, just to, because that's a right too. you know, to to champion where the things that you're doing well.
1: No, absolutely. And that's, that is probably a better closing than I could give to this podcast. Um, But I think that's absolutely right. There are a lot of best practices. And I do think that that is something that, you know, sometimes, especially when you are working with residents and you hear things that aren't great that are happening, you know, it is important to focus on the fact that there are really good things happening and there are places Mm -hmm. where things have been successful and where things are going well, um, and to bring that out as well. Um, I also want to add, I know, Kelly, you've talked about the podcast that you did and we're doing a podcast right now, um, I just want to make sure everyone listening and both of you don't feel like we are leaving resident voices out of this conversation. Um, We're actually, we're, releasing this podcast for Residents Rights Month, but we're actually um, going to do a podcast on the same issue with residents, um, where we talk to a current resident and a former resident who are doing advocacy um, work of their own, um, and how, how that sort of fits into this whole picture. So I thought I would just give a shout out to that as well. Um, but I really want to thank you both for the amazing work you're doing and for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure hearing everything that you're doing and your suggestions for everyone else. So thank you.
0: Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. This podcast is a program of the National Consumer Voice for quality long-term care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information and resources. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode. We'll